open your Bibles. Uh, we'll be starting at verse 1 of this third chapter. And uh, Paul, he starts off uh, very eloquent, eloquently in this first verse. And this is what he says. He says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. And so Paul immediately just jumps right back into, if you remember chapter 2, which we just got done covering the past two weeks, if you remember that, Paul was more talking about his recent endeavors and what he had been doing uh, in the past several years. Remember how he talked about how he had been traveling, doing ministry, and then he spent some time talking about his confrontation uh, with the Apostle Peter. And so he gets right back in the third chapter to addressing the problem um, head on. And again, chapter 2, he was doing that all throughout, but now he's back to speaking directly to the church by saying, Oh, foolish Galatians, who, who has bewitched you? Who has deceived you? Who has covered your eyes and, and, and sold you this lie? And he says this, it was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. There's another version of that, uh, that portion of the scripture, and it says this. It says that Jesus is Christ, the meaning of his death and resurrection could not have been more clearer than if you had seen a picture of it yourself. And so what Paul is saying is that the salvation of Jesus, we painted it to you so clearly like a picture. You understood it. But now, like we know, the church of Galatia, they have stepped away from that salvation, that faith in Jesus, and they have gone back to the law. They have gone to, to works, and that is where they are trying to earn their salvation. And so Paul is getting very frustrated here. Uh, and we see this, uh, especially throughout this first bit of this chapter, we're going to see a lot of the frustration coming out of Paul. And here's why. He is he's talking to people who it seems like they have lost their common sense. They have lost their logical thinking. Have you ever talked to somebody who lacked common sense? Yeah. It's a little frustrating. It's a little frustrating. It could, it could have been a child. Uh, hopefully it was a child and not an adult because we hope by, by the time you're an adult, we hope you've got just a little bit of common sense. Uh, but sometimes it is an adult and you're talking to them and you're like, what were you thinking? Have you ever said that? Come on. Just like, what, what were you thinking? Why did you do that? You had no common sense. You, you lacked all rational thinking. What you're doing doesn't make any sense. And Paul, that's where Paul's coming from right now. He's confused because of what they did, but he's angry. He's just frustrated. And so he says, oh, you know, and again, Pastor Bright talked about it, just how you, when he's writing it, he presses that pen just a little bit harder. He's just making those indentions in the paper because he's writing because he's angry. It's like, oh, you foolish Galatians, who tricked you? Who, 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 who bewitched you? Who did this to you? Uh, because why have you walked away from what you've known to, to be true? You've lost your senses. And then this is where Paul and I relate a lot. I actually got a good laugh out of this while I was reading this earlier. So if we look at verse 2, this is what he does. And you'll see, he says, let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? And I did. I chuckled because me being a sarcastic person myself, I recognize the sarcasm. I, I, and what Paul is doing is he's asking a simple question. He's saying because he wants them to think. You know, you know, again, you're dealing with somebody who has lost their common sense, so you ask them simple questions. Okay? You know. It'd be like uh, there was one time when my dad called me, and, and I, I, had a, uh, I had a 91 Chevrolet uh, belonged to my grandfather, and he gave it to me. And uh, so an older vehicle, I had to take care of it, you know, and I was not much of a, uh, an expert. Uh, I was not much of a mechanic. I didn't know much about cars, let alone trucks and all that. But my dad knew that it didn't hold water or coolant in the radiator for very long periods of time. 
And so my dad, I was going to visit them that weekend. I was coming home from college. It was about a two-hour drive. So it wasn't too long, but long enough to where you need to check and make sure that thing had water in the radiator. So dad called me, you know, before I left, and he said, son, he said, before you get on the road, he said, if you don't have any coolant, go get some water and put it in your radiator so that your engine don't heat up and blow up on you while you're driving to come see us. I said, okay, dad, sure. Hung up. I didn't check the radiator. So I start driving down the road, and sure enough, everything stops working. Gas don't work. Brake don't work. Uh, the steering wheel really don't work. It's just I'm in a bad situation. Luckily, thankfully, all it's just favor from the Lord. I was in the right lane. Traffic went terrible, and I managed to get off the road, and it hit me. You know, you know, like you forget something, then it just hits you like a ton of bricks. You're like, you idiot. You just, you stupid. That's what I did to myself, you know, because when I saw the engine light come on and when I saw it go from cold all the way to hot, I went, you idiot. You didn't check the radiator. So I called my dad. I said, dad, I said, I'm broke down the side of the road. I'm still an hour and a half away from your house. And I said, and you know what the first thing he asked was? Did you check the radiator before you left? No. That's why I'm calling you. <laughs> that is why there is an issue right now at this present moment. But see, Paul is the same way. Paul is asking a simple, basic question because he wants you to think. Because he, he wants to make a point. He wants it to get across to their thick skulls. He wants to, he's trying to drive that message home. And he says, so look, think about it. Answer this question. Did you receive the Spirit by the law, or did you receive the Spirit by your faith? Now, it's a pretty easy answer, and so while they're reading this letter, they're going, oh, well, that's easy. We received it by our faith. It's a pretty simple thing. And then Paul continues. Let's go to verse 3. This is where, this is the second part of that story with Dad. Because just like Paul, Paul said, are you foolish? Dad went, are you an idiot? I called you, and he called me probably, no, 20 minutes before I left. You know, just in time, you like, go check it. It was more like, I'm not asking you, I'm telling you, you might want to go check it. And so dad was like, are you an idiot? Yeah. <laughs> I'm stuck on the side of the road. I feel, like, I feel like an idiot right now. Paul says, are you foolish? Are you an idiot? Because if you can answer that first question, that you, did you receive the Spirit by faith or did you receive it by the law? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Again, it's another question where I detect a little bit of sarcasm in Paul's voice here, but he's asking them to think. You know, Scripture tells us that the good work that God has started in us he is faithful to complete it. But it says he is faithful to complete it. The way, these, the way the church in Galatia is acting is a good work was started by God, and now they're going to complete it. They are going to finish the good work that God started. And I don't know about anybody else, but I don't want my hands on anything in my life. I want to stay as far away from it as possible because I know what my tendencies are. And I know that if God puts something good in my life, that he is going to be the one that completes it and finishes it and helps me to take care of it. That's why when he sent me my wife, I was like, Lord, I don't know. She's, she's a good woman. And you know me. I don't know what this is going to. I think the scales are kind of tipped in my favor more than they are in hers. He's like, no, don't worry. I'll show you how to be a good husband. When I had kids, I'll show you how. So when, when God, I'll show you how to be a good father. When God gives us things, when he starts a good work in us, when he begins to, at salvation, and he says, okay, I've started a good work. Now we've got to go through sanctification. Now we've got to start pruning you and, and turning you into the person that I want you to be, the person I know you can be. It's not something that we can do on our own. That, that is not a work that we can accomplish. 
no matter how many uh, self-help books you may read, no matter how many podcasts you may listen to, no matter how many people you may just talk to in your circle who instruct you, tell you, try to help you, however, to be a better person, it will never be within your own power to do so. And in the same way, Paul is saying, guys, understand, God did not start a good work in you. He saved you. He called you his own. That's the good work that he started. He's going to finish it. You didn't have to step in and go, okay, thanks, God. I've got it from here. I'm going to take care of the rest. I can, I can take it from here. It's kind of like how my son does me. You know, he's only two. He'll be three in November. And so, but he's really taken on this independence idea, you know, because when you're two, you can do anything you want. You can do everything. And so he does this thing, and I'll show you this is what he does, because yeah, I, I need both arms for this. I'll do it by myself. And he turns says, I'll do it by myself. And, he, and I'm telling eyes closed, nose up in the air, everything. That's what he does. And so I'll go, Deke, do you need help? i do it by myself. And I go, okay. And so he'll sit there and he'll struggle with it. And I'll go, do you need some help? Yeah. <laughs> okay, I'll help you out. You know, it's okay to need help. And, and, and that's what Paul wants him to understand is, look, you didn't have to come in and take over. You didn't have to come in and say, God, thank you for saving me. Thank you for, you know, bringing me into your kingdom, bringing me into your adoptive family. I've got it from here. But how many of us have done the same thing before? I've seen it many times. People come into church on a Sunday or they come into church on a Wednesday or any day of the week. They get saved. God totally changes their life because salvation, that just changes your life right there. Amen. They get saved and then they don't come back. They don't come back anymore. They don't seek discipleship. They don't talk to a pastor or a church leader about what to do next because they go, okay, God, you started it. I'll take care of the rest. And I will discipline myself to stop drinking. I will train myself to stop looking at that. I'll, I'll, I'll force myself to stop doing this. And I'll just become better on my own. I'll fix my marriage on my own. I'll raise my kids better on my own. And we get this complex that just because God started it, we can finish it. And Paul says, no, that's an impossibility. You cannot complete the perfect work that Christ is trying to do in you. If Christ started it, he has to finish it. Any other way is going to be foolhardy and it's going to lead to just destruction. So let's go here to verse 4. Now, verse 4, this is where Paul, he says this, Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? This is again where he's talking. He's saying, look, all the trouble and hardship you just put yourself through, trying to live by the law, it's all in vain. It's all in vain. In the same way that all the hardship that you put yourself through in your life by trying to accomplish and achieve things on your own, all it does is it puts, it puts it all in vain. What are you really striving for? What are you really trying to accomplish if you're trying to pour all of this into doing it in your own ability, in your own power? And Christ says, no, that's not what I want you to do. I want you to hand it over to me. And allow me to lead you and guide you so that what you're doing is not in vain. When I come to church every Sunday, it's not in vain. I come to church, I worship, I sit through the sermon, and I take notes, and I listen, and I think, how can I apply this to my life? When I, when I go home and I have a time where I study and read the Word and I pray, that's not in vain. Why? Because when I'm doing it, I'm doing it through the attitude of, God, I need your help to lead me in life. But if you come to church and your attitude is more, I'm only coming because this is what I have to do, but I still possess the ability to change my life, then you are in for a lost cause. And all the work that you are doing is just going to be in vain because it will not lead you anywhere. Does that make sense tonight? 
You don't want to get caught in a cycle of where you're trying to accomplish it on your own and it makes everything you're doing null and void. Okay, you can go home and you can try and fix your marriage tonight in your own power and you can try to do everything you can and you can do what you can get books, you can watch counselors, you can go to a counselor, you can do all that and you can try in your own power to do it. Uh, And then when things don't work out and then things get worse, you look back and go, well, I did all of that for nothing. Well, it's true because you had the wrong attitude. You were not putting it through the lens of, God, I need your help to do this. And if I don't have your help to do this, then what I'm doing is just going to amount to nothing. All right, so Paul, again, he's coming in pretty hot right now. He's coming in pretty fierce because he's trying to get this message into their heads. Okay, so let's continue. Verse 5. Again, Paul's not done. He says, does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Again, Paul's not done here. He is driving this nail home because he, he wants it to hurt every time he hits them with another question. Every time they read another one, Okay, yes, Paul, we get it. You're right. Anybody else have a parent do that to them? They just kept going and saying it over and over again, and you're like, okay, I get the point. And they're like, no, you don't, because if you got the point, you wouldn't have done that. Like me and the radiator. Okay, Dad, I get it. No, you don't got it, son, because if you got it, you would have had water in your radiator, and you'd be home by now. And so Paul is saying, I want you to get it. I want to drive this home so that you completely understand where I'm coming from right now. And then we get to verse 6, and this is what verse 6 says. It says, just as Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. It seems like Paul is getting repetitive here. He's asked these questions, but he's, he's about to shift the tone now. He's about to go from, okay, listen, I I have berated you and I have uh, asked you all these questions and you have had to really look in the mirror and, you know, say, I'm an idiot because I did this. I went and circumcised myself and I didn't have to and I went and did all this stuff by the law and ate this certain food and lived this certain way and did this certain thing so that I could be uh, counted as, as part of the family and I didn't have to. I get that. But what Paul is trying to do is he's trying to get them to truly think on the questions here. Because what's happening is is that a clear separation has taken place. And one that I think we need to understand so we can really not to justify or sympathize with the church of Galatia, but to understand why they're doing what they're doing. And here's the reason. What has been considered to be wrong for a long time is now right. And what has been considered right for so long is now being considered wrong. I'll I'll explain just a little bit. So now you have the Gentiles. Now the Gentiles were never supposed to be able to come into the kingdom of God. That was how it was seen. Now that's not what the Bible says, but that was the cultural perception. Okay, there's a difference. It was a cultural perception. And Pastor Bradley talked about some of this last week when he was going over uh, the confrontation between Paul and Peter. And the Jews, on the other hand, they were God's chosen. They were the ones that God loved, and they could be saved, and they could that that was all, you know, then Jesus comes onto the scene. And Jesus begins to tear down these walls that separate the two. And he begins to say, there's coming a day where Gentile and Jew are going to sit together and they're going to feast together and it's all going to be under the kingdom of God. Now, you have to understand the confusion that that caused. I'll give you a more modern example. Let's look at segregation in America. Okay? Now, we have to understand how monumental that moment was. Understand, racism is awful in every way possible. But the cultural perspective, this group was over here, this group was over here. One day that changes all of a sudden, and now the law says both groups can be together. Did both groups instantly go together? Like oil and water? They absolutely did not. 
And to this day, 2023, Sunday still, and you've heard other pastors say it, Sunday is still the most segregated day of the week. Because we got all kinds of churches for every group of people out there. Why? Because the cultural perspective is so hard to overcome. And just because now it's right doesn't make it easy for the people to just adjust to it right away. And I'm not, and I'm not saying all that to justify the problems that Galatia is having right now. I'm saying that to say that what we're seeing is a natural human reaction to what has taken place. Of course, Peter is going to be angry. Peter spent his time angry at Gentiles. And now he's supposed to love Gentiles and accept them as his brother. The church of Galatia, there's a lot of Gentiles there. They were never even supposed to come into the kingdom of God. Now they can because Paul preached the gospel of salvation to them. But then a group of Jews show up and they say, we've been doing this longer than you guys have. We know who God is. You guys don't. And if you're going to do it right, it has to be this way. Do you see where the confusion can come settle in? And that's why it's so important for us to understand that when we read the Word of God, you have to be able to have an understanding in your own heart so somebody cannot come in and go, well, this is how you should do it. And you so easily just turn that way. Amen? Amen. All right. As we're getting ready to go a little bit further, because this is what's happening, is, is that I want, and I, want to, I want to take what Paul just said with all of his questions and give you a way to apply it to your life very quickly. Ask yourself basic questions. Ask yourself simple questions just in your day-to-day life. Because what's going to happen is, is that when life begins to change, people come in, people leave, people try to come in and influence you and do whatever. Ask yourself questions. Paul, that's what Paul did. Paul said, look, did the law save you or did, the, or, or, or did faith save you? Did the law perform miracles or was it hearing by faith that, that, that allowed you to perform miracles? Did you receive the Spirit through your faith in Jesus or did you receive the, the, the Spirit through the law? Very simple, basic questions, but it helps the church of Galatia. So when you're going through something in your life and somebody comes in, they begin to tell you what you really need to do is this. Go, okay, well, let me ask myself some simple questions. Okay? Was I given the Spirit by God or by this person here? Simple question. Go, okay, well, it was God. Okay. Ask yourself another question. Did, was my life completely and totally changed, turned upside down for the Lord because of my faith in God or because of my trust in this person or this thing? And very quickly you will see who to listen to, where to turn, and how to approach every decision in your life. Amen? Ask questions. Something we've all learned since grade school. Ask questions. So let's go here to verse 7. No Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. All right, now we're getting to the good part. Say the good part. The good part. This is where Paul really kicks it up to speak to the Gentiles, to speak to the group that has uh, felt spurned for so long. And he says, look, I need you to understand this. It is the people who have faith in Jesus that are the sons of Abraham. Okay, verse 8, I'm going to read just a little bit more before we, go, before we break this down. Then he says this, And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by their faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abram, saying this, And you shall all the nations be blessed. Say all. All. He didn't say when God gave this promise to Abraham, and he said, I'm going to bless you. Your descendants are going to be as many as the stars, as many as the sand on the, on, on the, uh, the, the beach, the ground. God did not say, I'm going to bless one nation through you, the nation of Israel. And that's what we would think. We would think Abraham, that's his seed, that's his descendants. Those are all the people that come after him. It's the nation of Israel that came from Abraham. God said, I'm going to bless all nations through you. 
That's the Jew and the Gentile. And Paul, when he says in verse 7, he says, look, you need to understand that it is those who have faith in Jesus that are the sons of Abraham. So let's break this down just a little bit. This is where I find Scripture so cool. Because Scripture, when you read it and you begin to understand the context, I was talking uh, context at dinner, when you can understand context, when you can understand the overarching message that's taking place, it just brings everything out so uh, in such an incredible new light. And that's why we do stuff like this. But this is where it gets absolutely incredible for me. So, so let's do it like this. Paul says if you have faith in Jesus, you are a son of Abraham. Paul's trying now to bridge the gap, okay? I immediately think of the moment when Jesus is at the well and the Samaritan woman comes up to get her water, all right? Now, the Samaritan woman, her people have felt spurned for years. Why? Because they were Samaritans. If you don't know what Samaritans were, they were half-breeds, Okay, they were they were they were Israeli people. They were Israelites that disobeyed God, and they went and they intermingled with other nations, and they had children. And because of that, they became cursed because God told His people, "Do not intermingle." But they became the Samaritan group. Now they still had part Israel in them, so they were still you know they saw themselves as, "Hey, we're still the, the descendants of Abraham too." We still come from Abraham too. He's still our father just like he's your father. But the Jews said, no, you're cursed. And you have to stay where you are. And God had designated a place of worship for all those who believed in him to come and worship and offer up their sacrifices. The Samaritans could not go. It was against the law. You cannot go because of who you are. You're a Samaritan, you are a half-breed, you are not a true Israelite, you are not a Jew, you cannot go up there to worship. And so the woman at the well, she comes up there and Jesus, you know, begins talking to her and she looks at him funny and she's like, why are you a Jew talking to me, a Samaritan? Why are you talking to me? Again, there was a separation, there was a gap. Jesus, through their conversation that they have towards the end, he says a time is coming and is now here where the true followers, the true believers, will worship in spirit and in truth. And Jesus tells this Samaritan woman, it's not just for the Jews. It's for the Samaritans. It's for the Gentiles. It's for all those who believe. And we know what the Samaritan woman does next. She, she throws off her, 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 her bucket. She leaves her water there, drops it on the ground, and she runs back home and begins to tell the whole city about Jesus. And Paul, when he gets here, he's trying to do the same thing. Abraham is just like, he is what people would, he is the name that people would cling to to show their status. Because Abraham carried the blessing. Abraham carried the promise. God made the promise to Abraham. And so the sons and the daughters of Abraham would inherit that blessing. But for so long, it was believed that the promise and the blessing of Abraham was meant only for the Jews. That's who it was meant for. It wasn't meant for anybody else. It wasn't meant for the, for, for the Samaritans. It wasn't meant for the Gentiles. It was only for those who came from Abraham. You, 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 you were a, just a full-blood Jewish descent. You were there. That blessing, that promise is yours to inherit one day. And Paul says, no, listen. The sons of Abraham are not those who came from his lineage. The sons of Abraham are those who have faith in Jesus Christ. So you have to understand the, 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 the weight that this has on the Gentiles because their entire life, and I don't use this term in a derogatory fashion. I use it in its literal meaning. Gentiles felt like spiritual bastards. 
they felt like they were, like their dad was related over there, but they were spurned because of it. Because they were not full-blooded Jews, because they weren't a part of the right family, because they didn't belong to the right bloodline, the right lineage, they were never going to inherit the kingdom of God. That was the message. And suddenly Paul shows up and he writes this letter and he says, that's not how it is. I know what you've been told. I know what you've been taught. And when that group of Jews came up to your church and they told you that you had to obey the law so that you could be saved, they were trying to operate under the name of Abraham. They were trying to say, if you're really going to be a son of Abraham, then you've got to follow the law that Abraham did. And Paul says, no. If you have faith in Jesus Christ, that is all you need. You are a son of Abraham. And what this means is now you have this group of people who have felt like they have had nothing. Now suddenly their eyes are open and they go, do you mean that we get to inherit the blessing of Abraham? Do you mean that we get to inherit the promise that God gave to Abraham, that we are a part of that lineage, we are a part of that family? And it is a mirror image to our adoption into the kingdom of God. It is right there in line with each other, and it is a significant moment in this letter for these people. So let's go to verse 9. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. And this just, this is like the ice, this, this, is, this is the icing on the cake. This is what just seals the deal for, it is like, so you're saying that, and Paul says, yeah, that's what I'm saying, that you're blessed just like Abraham was blessed because you are now a part of the kingdom of God. You were a part of the family under Jesus Christ. You have been adopted. You have been brought in. You have, once you, and and that is for each of us here today. When you're sitting there and you're reading through your Bible and you get to Abraham and you see all what God promised him and you see what God said to Abraham and how great of a man Abraham, how blessed he was, and you just look at what God did for him, you need to say to yourself, I am blessed just like Abraham was blessed. Because if you are a son and you are a daughter of Abraham, if you have faith in Jesus, that is what the Bible says, amen? It now rests with us. The, the inheritance, the blessing, all of it, it is right there with us. So let's go a little bit further. Let's go to verse 10. How are we doing so far, everybody? Good. Water break. Verse 10 says this, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. Say a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. So Paul, he says, listen, If you are living by the law, if you are trying to rely on the law, you're cursed. And I love how Paul phrases that too, because again, Paul is a very educated man. Paul is not a poor man. He is not a dumb man. He is a man that grew up in good school and good education. He knows all about the Gentile and the Jewish culture. Very intelligent man. And I love how he words what he's saying here. He says, look, if you rely on the law, if you put your trust, if you put your faith, reliance, if that's what you put it, if you put it all into the law, then you are cursed. You are cursed. As I was reading this passage, though, I got confused. Because this is what he says. He says, cursed be everyone who does not obey, who does, does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. It didn't make sense to me. Paul says you're cursed. You're cursed if you, if you try to follow the law. And the law says you're cursed if you don't do everything the law says. And I'm like, Lord, that doesn't make sense to me. And I sat there. And I still didn't have a clear idea, so I said, well, let me pray about it. 
say, Lord, why is it? It's like, okay, this makes sense now. Because nobody can fulfill the law. Nobody can be perfect in the law. This is what the law says again. It says, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Guys, if we were to go back and if we were to look at the law and we were to try to abide by every single thing, we would all fail. Romans tells us, he says, all have fallen short, sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Why does the law bring a curse? Because the law cannot be done. The law cannot be fulfilled by man. You cannot live under the law and be perfect under the law. There was only one man who could do that. And when he came, he fulfilled the law, so nobody ever had to try to do that again. It stopped when Jesus came. He died, resurrected. He said, okay, it is finished. The law is fulfilled. It's done. Nobody has to ever go under that curse again. But yet sometimes we still bring that curse upon ourselves. And that's what Paul is trying to say. He says, you're bringing a curse on yourselves. You're bringing a curse on your life, on your church, on your family, because you're trying to do something that is impossible. And all it's going to do is just simply put you under the extreme weight and the extreme pressure of the law. If you, have, if you want to go back and see how heavy, how... How difficult the law was. Go back and just read Deuteronomy. Go back and read it. Read it from from chapter 1 to chapter 26. Go read all chapters and you come back and tell me if the law seems doable. And look at the punishment for the sins when it was committed. And tell me if you could do it. Most of us wouldn't, wouldn't be alive in this room. Because the law was hard, and it was difficult, and nobody could do it. And then Jesus said, when I came, I fulfilled the law. Now nobody, nobody has to try and do that again. Nobody has to try and live that perfect lifestyle again because of what I have done. Let's go to verse 11. It says this, now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. Okay, this is kind of what we just said. It's evident that nobody is justified by the law. Paul is just saying there, look, it's obvious, okay? He just goes ahead and says, it's obvious that nobody here can be perfect in what the law commands. End of story. And if anybody disagrees... You lack common sense, and you need to sit down. He says, so because nobody can perfect it, because nobody can, can do that, then nobody can be justified by it. You cannot be justified by the law because you cannot even complete the law. So that's when he says this, the righteous live by what? Faith. Faith. The righteous live by faith. The righteous do not live by the law. It used to be that way. That used to be the way it was to happen. The people that were considered righteous were the people that were trying to keep the law. And they were trying to maintain the law. But that all changed because the law could not be kept. The law could not be maintained. And so now he says the righteous do not live by that. The righteous live by faith. So church, how should we live? We should live by faith. Do not look for your righteousness through anything that you do. This is a, this is a problem that everybody in this room will face at one point or another. I have faced it myself. It is easy for the mindset of the law to settle into our lives where we feel like we have to do something to, to, to make it up to God, to be good enough for God. We have to get to a certain standard and procedure for God. He says, no, your righteousness is going to come through your faith because it's not even our righteousness. It's not even our 
What does Scripture say? Our righteousness is like what? Filthy rags. Dirty clothes. If you went and found a burlap sack on the side of the road and you threw it over your head, that is your righteousness. That is what that amounts to. But when you, by faith, accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, He took His righteousness, His perfect righteousness that completed the law, that kept the law letter by letter and maintained every word of it. And He says, this is now your righteousness. But you can only have your righteousness by your faith. You cannot have it without one or the other. Because if you do not have faith, it's the burlap sack. That's all you got. But if you have faith, you take on the righteousness of Christ and you walk in his righteousness. So let's go here to verse 12. This is what he says. He says, but the law is not a faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Again, there's a separation here. There's, you cannot you, the law is not from faith. It's two distinct things. And Paul wants him to understand that you cannot live by the law and then try to live by faith because the law is not of faith. There's a distinction. There is a separation. We had to have the law to get to this moment. It was necessary for a time, but that time was over, and it is still over. Let's go to verse 13. Paul explains here, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. I actually read this today in Deuteronomy. That's why I told you to go read it if you want to know what the law is. Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. And what was Jesus? He was hung on the cross. He was hung on the tree. And he was the sacrificial lamb for us. And Paul says that he took the curse, our curse, he took it on himself. And through that, he redeemed us. And it all, it, again, it all goes back to faith. It all goes back to our faith. I understand how rigorous and how difficult religion can become. Religion can become a very strenuous thing if that's how you choose to live because you have, you're bringing a curse upon yourself. It's not something that we can easily shake off, and that is why we have churches still in the world today that are all about religion. And it's not about the righteousness found in faith in Jesus. They are all about the law and the things that you have to do and what not to do. And you can't do this and you can't go here and you cannot. And if you live ever so rigorously, if you can make it that long, then you'll get it. You'll achieve it. You'll prosper in it. But that's not at all what Scripture says. He says, it's not about, it's about your faith. Now, don't misunderstand me either. There are standards to our living as believers. There are calls for holiness. He says, you be holy because I am holy. And so there are standards that we have to live by. But if we start to become concerned with the type of clothing that we're wearing. If we start to become concerned about whether or not you go to a movie theater, if we, begin, if we start to become concerned about what somebody wears when they walk into our church building, we need to ask ourselves, is this through faith and through grace, or is this the law that we're operating under? Again, I know there are standards. If somebody tries to come walking in the church and they are butt naked, Yes, a conversation needs to be had. But until the day one of you can go, Pastor Chase, they are butt naked trying to get in church, you don't need to say anything. 
Because Paul says, if you could just come and have faith, and this is the beauty of faith, and this is the truth of the law. The law never inspired, and the law never encouraged, and it never helped you flourish. The law was so rigorous, it was so hard and so difficult. The law was oftentimes very fearful, and the law was very oppressive. It was there for a reason. Do not get me. It was there for a purpose, and it had to exist to get us to the moment of Christ. But when the law was completed and fulfilled in Jesus, we step into faith, and faith is what drives us in our desire for the holy, righteous living. It's through our faith. To all my parents out there, I'll, I'll, I'll try to relay this to you the best that I know how. My two sons are not teenagers yet. Pray for me when they are because I'm afraid they'll have too much of their daddy and not enough of their mama. Amen. But I know that when my parents, my parents were very strict, and I love them and God loves them, but they were very strict parents. But I know the harder they closed the box around me, the more I wanted to escape from it. Does that make sense? Don't get me wrong. Parents have boundaries, have rules. Absolutely, my children will have boundaries and rules. But the harder they sunk their teeth into me, the more I wanted to get away. That was what like the law was. It was going to close you in. And you can't do any of this, go anywhere, do this. Otherwise, we're taking you out to the city gates and we're stoning you to death. That's what we're going to do. But all I did was I just picked grain on Sunday. You die. Because we told you not to. Faith inspired, inspires people to be better. I've talked to a couple of dads just before, you know, especially when I became a dad. And they said, you would be amazed at the results I saw on my children when I looked at them and I said, I believe in you to make good decisions. And then they let me go. They let me live how I wanted to live. But they raised me in the right way. They, you know, they taught their kids the right thing to do. But then they said, I trust in you to go out there and do what's right, what I've taught you. Did their kids make mistakes? Oh, yeah, absolutely. But they came back because they knew what was right. And the faith that they had in their, in their father spurred them to do better, spurred them to aim for a righteous living. Too often times I feel like we try to earn God's grace and God's love. We try to earn it through works and through things that we do. I, I used to be this way where I was like, I've got to go so many days without messing up so God will be proud of me. And I've got, to, I've got to read my Bible consecutively all these days so that I can, so that God won't get angry and so, and so he won't remove his spirit from me and so he won't abandon me and so that he'll still love me. And so, and it was fear. And it was fear that God was going to leave me. And it was fear that God was going to abandon me because I didn't maintain order in my life. And one day I had a realization that I was living under the law. That I was trying to maintain a set order of expectations so that God would be pleased with me. And instead of coming to him like this, I was coming to him like this. And I was a shy, scared son of my father. And he showed it to me and said, that's not how I want you to come to me but I want you to be able to look at me and to talk to me and to love on me, and I want to do the same for you. And when I switched from that to faith and trusting that God was my Father and trusting and having faith that God did love me and God never was going to leave me or forsake me or abandon me, when I got to that, I realized a change in my life that I hadn't noticed before. 
I realized that I was praying a little bit differently and I was studying my word a little bit differently. I realized I was seeing a change in in, in my walk with Christ because now it was centered around I want to be better because I want to be closer to him. Not not because I'm, I'm afraid that something will go wrong. Not because I'm afraid of punishment. I'm, I'm, I'm 29 years old now. My dad, he's, he's in his 60s. And it was always awkward because my dad and I, we never did just have like the greatest of relationships. And all of that was, was, was very, it was just a very complex dynamic is all it was. Dad was my pastor uh, ever since I was 10. And uh, so that's all I knew. And so sometimes I needed dad and I got pastor, you know. And it was hard to distinguish it too. So it made for a very strange dynamic in our relationship. And so I never really did just want to spend time around my dad because I felt like he was, it was just a pastor. Like he wasn't really my dad. Does that make sense, church? Can I tell you now, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15 years later, nothing makes my dad just more happy if I just call him just because I want to talk to him. And he can tell me about his coin collection. He can tell me about what he's doing in his church and how they've got ideas and stuff. And he just talks to me. When I was younger, yeah, I'd hang out with Dad and I'd enjoy time with Dad. But it, it, a lot of the times it almost came from a place of it's kind of because I have to. It's kind of because I feel forced to. But it feels like a stranger almost. And that's how it felt for the Jews for so long. You have to remember, when they were out Mount Sinai, when Moses came back down and they all the thunder and the lightning stopped and they said, we don't want to see that again. We're scared. And they were fearful of God. Again, the law was necessary. There was this fear of God. There was this, he terrifies me. And there was not the grace and the mercy and the love that we see now. There were for some, don't get me wrong. You can think of the psalmist David and others. But now, fear does not have to exist in anybody's mind when it comes to the Lord. It does not have to be God... I'm, 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 I'm shyly approaching you because maybe you can help me. No, God says come boldly into the throne room. Remember earlier Paul said, look, you're a son of Abraham. If you just have faith in Jesus, he's saying you're a part of that family. Do you know why you can boldly enter the throne room? It's because you're related to the king. Nobody else could enter the throne room boldly unless you knew the king, if you were related to the king. Anybody else, the cook, the butler, the maid, any of them, they didn't just waltz up into the throne room. That was mm -mm, not good. But if you were the son or the daughter of the king, you could walk in there and go, Dad, I'm here and I need something. Dad, I'm here to talk to you. Dad, I wanted to come see you. He said, come boldly. And that only comes by faith. That only comes by faith. If you will, stand with me this evening. I want to read chapter 14. He says, So that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. Paul, he just wraps up this little section here. He says, everything, the Spirit of God, the blessing of Abraham, it's all yours because of your faith in Jesus. That's all, that's all you needed. That's all you really needed was just to have faith in Jesus. You didn't have to go try and do your own works. You didn't have to go and try and earn salvation and earn God's favor and earn God's blessing. All that comes is by faith. And through our faith, we are driven to be better and to do better and to draw closer to Him. You'd be amazed in your life 
if you would shift your perspective on who God is in your life and say, God, you are my heavenly father. I, 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 I have reverence for you. I fear you in that way. I have reverence for you, but I am not scared of you. And God, I'm coming to you as a son, as a daughter who has been brought into your kingdom, to your family. And I need you to help me in my life. I need you to intervene on my behalf. We can shift our perspective instead of, God, I'm coming to you and I went to church today, so now can you do this for me? God, I I, I paid my tithes today, so now can you bless me? God, I did what you asked, and I I kept all of your commandments, and I I did everything that that you said I should do, and I I was obedient. I didn't sin today. I didn't lie. I didn't cheat. I didn't steal. I I didn't do anything wrong. Is that good enough for you, God? Instead of that, if we could just say, God, I have faith that you are a God who loves me and is there for me. And yes, even on my good days and even on my bad ones, I can still come to you. I can still be in your presence, and I know that you are going to meet me here the way a father meets his son, the way a father meets his daughter. And I'll tell you, I'll share this, and then I'll be done for, for the night. One of the most profound experiences I ever had with the Lord there was a short time in my life, and I was, again, I was raised in a pastor's house, and I knew, you know, I mean, I won contests as a kid to name all the books of the Bible in order and to memorize scriptures. I, I, I knew it all, but that was a very deadly combination. There's nothing worse than an arrogant Christian because we know it all, but we refuse to change and there for a while, I, I became a, an atheist. I began telling people, my friends, and you know, uh, those that were close to me that, no, I don't, I don't believe in God anymore. I don't. I had gone through a season where things didn't go the way I thought they should have gone. And in my anger, I turned my back on God. And... It all culminated when I was at a church service one Sunday morning. And the preacher was speaking. Couldn't tell you at all what was preached about. I have no clue. I sat my arms crossed the entire time. The only reason I was at church is because I had family at church that I knew would get back to my mom and dad if they didn't see me there. So I was there just out of fear for mom and dad. I know I'm you know, 19 years old and scared of mom and dad, but I was. And I, 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 just, I didn't want to do the, the tango with them. I didn't want them to call me, well, I weren't you in church. Uh, so I showed up just so they wouldn't have to hear about it and I wouldn't have to get a phone call. Couldn't tell you at all what they sang. Couldn't tell you what was preached about. But I know when the altar came, I sat down where everybody stood for the prayer. And the altar call was given for... Whatever. Could have been healing. It could have been freedom. I don't know. I was just sitting there. And I began to feel that tug, that pull at my heart. And I said, God, I'm not doing it. I'm not. And I don't think there was ever a moment that I truly stopped believing in the existence of God. I just didn't have faith in God anymore. I didn't trust Him, I didn't have hope. And I just kept feeling that pull, and finally one final altar call was given, and it was, if you just need something from God to get down there. And I said, God, I will give you one more chance to show yourself. I said, then I'm done. I said, no matter what my family says, I, I, I won't come back in this church. And I got up and I went down there. And you know how some people, they come to the altar and what do we do? We begin to pray. We raise our hands or we fold our hands and we just begin to pray until the pastor or the prayer team member comes and prays with us. I just stood there and I just stared into the carpet fibers. Didn't pray, didn't say anything. I'm just like, I'm here. Just hands in my pocket. (laughs) It looked like I was 
drunk up there by somebody. And finally, this, this preacher gets to me, and they get in my ear, and they say one thing. And they say, this is what the Lord says. I see you, my son, and I love you, and I have not forgotten you. And in that moment, I just collapsed because I was reminded it's not about the law and me trying to earn it. In that moment, I deserved nothing. According to the law, according to what the Old Testament said, according to my works and my deeds, according to my actions and my behavior, according to the things I had said, I deserved nothing. And in that moment, for God to speak and to say, Son, I haven't forgotten you. It totally changed my life to where now it's like, He really does see me as His Son. And now I really see Him as my Heavenly Father. And we have this relationship where I can talk to him and he can talk to me. And there's no fear. There's nothing, there's nothing that I can say that he's going to go, well, what you said is too much. You have to leave. And there's nothing that I can do that he can go, well, that's too much. I, you can't be my son anymore. When I get angry, my goodness, before, before hoping I moved here to Forest, Mississippi, I didn't have a job and I, I, I felt God had told me to, to, to quit ministry from where I was at currently because I felt like he was going to move us somewhere else. And so I quit, and I was just having to do just side jobs to make money to live on. And there was a day where, and I was calling people saying, do you know a church? Do you know a place? Do you know something that's open? Is anybody calling? Is anybody hiring? Is anything going on? No, no, sorry. I'll call you if I get anything. Just email, email this person. Try this place. I sent out resumes. I tried to call for interviews. It was nothing. And one day I was driving in my truck and I was screaming at God, but I called it prayer. But I was screaming at God the entire way and I was saying all kind of things to him. Like, I thought you cared. I thought you loved us. I thought you told me to do this. And I did it. And now you've left me here with nothing. And when I finally finished screaming and I found my phone rang. I'm dead serious. It was right after my phone rang, and of course I had to <clears throat> you know dry your eyes and get your voice back. Parents, you know what I'm talking about you're screaming at your kid to get a phone call. Hello? Oh yeah, everything's great. Yeah, hey, we're good, we're good over here. Yeah, just having supper. Things y'all know what I'm talking about. That's what I did. And I said, hello. He said, hey, Chase, how are you? Of course, I lied a little bit. I said, I'm great, man. I'm great. He said, listen. He said, I got a phone call from a pastor who, who has a position. Would you like a phone call? I said, I said, absolutely. I said, absolutely. He said, okay. He said, now listen. He said, I don't want to get your hopes up. All right, but I'm going to text him back, and I'm going to call him back, and I'm going to tell him that you're interested. But he may not call you for a couple of weeks. So don't get discouraged. You know, my heart sunk a little bit, but I was still, I was still kind of encouraged. Like, okay, I'm, I'll at least get a phone call. And he, I hung up, and I went to go grab lunch at Jack's. I got back. It was 30 minutes later. My phone rang again. I said, hello. He said, hey, this is Tim Lott at All Seasons Worship Center. Can I meet you for lunch this weekend? Here we are. And I learned, it just built this, and we're just growing. I'm just growing. And I'm, I'm always seeing his faithfulness. I'm always seeing his goodness. I'm always seeing how he is always there and always, and I, I know that it's not because of anything that I've done, and that is Paul's whole message. That's what I hope you take home with you tonight is this, is that Guys, nothing you go home and do will ever amount to what your faith in him will do. Go home tonight and say, God, I'm done trying to earn it. Instead, I just want to walk in it. I just want to walk in it. 
And I think somebody in this room, you just need to walk in, his, walk in faith in the Lord. And I'm not talking about faith where it's just like, I believe that God exists. No, I would call that common sense. Faith is, I don't just... I don't just believe He exists. I believe that He loves me. And I believe that He died for me. And I believe that no matter what I come through, hell or high water, it doesn't matter what or when or how, that He's always going to be there. And He's always going to help me. And He's always going to take care of me. And no matter what it is or when it is or why it is, He is there. I believe that is faith. And because of faith, I wake up each day, and you know what I do? I grab my word, and I begin to read and go, God, what do you have for me today? Not because of the law. Not because somebody says, you've got to read this. You've got to read this. You've got to read this. I read it because, God, how can I be close to you today? When I go to pray, it's not because somebody said, You've got to pray. You've got to pray or, or, or you'll be punished. You'll be corrected. No, I pray because, God, how can I be close to you today? What can you share with me today? How can we grow today? What, 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 what secrets can, I, can you tell me today? What's something new you want to reveal to me? But that's all by faith. If you will, bow your heads with me tonight. Father, I pray, Lord, that this word has been received. I pray that it has gone to good soil, and I pray that it would be watered by your Spirit. And God, I just thank you, Lord, for what your son Jesus did on the cross and how he completed and fulfilled the law. And God, I thank you, Lord, for what the law did, but I thank you so much that we now can walk in grace and mercy, and we can walk in faith in you, and that through faith, God, we can just we can come to you boldly and we can ask things of you and we can draw closer to you, God, because this relationship is built on love and compassion. And God, I pray for the people in this room, Father, who may be struggling with that, where they feel like they have to earn it. God, I pray that we can break that mindset off of them in Jesus' name. And God, I pray that they can see that faith in you is all they need. That you care about them so much that you love them. And that through faith, you can draw them closer. Through faith, they can wear the righteousness of Jesus. Through faith, they can live the holy lifestyle that you've called us to. Through faith, they can be all that you've called them to be and more. And God, I thank you. I praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. I pray that you guys have a great rest of your week.